Oh, it's wonderful. It's wonderful. Welcome to Top G Hour. This is uh, Wack Nicholson. Uh, Privileged to be here with my with my my, my beautiful co-hosts. Uh, uh, we've got Caleb Bird Respector and Juniper. How are we doing, guys? Uh, I'm a I'm a little gassed. I'm a little <laughs> done with, with the content we've been researching. I'm well, little... and the and the reason Caleb is gassed is because we are uh, joined by the wonderful guest Ali Alejandro Caraballo to talk about Andrew Tate. How are you, Alejandra? I'm doing really well. How about yourselves? Um, well, did we get your name right, by the way? Yeah, I was going to say, is it Caraballo yeah. or Caraballo? Caraballo. Uh, so, yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, no, I gotta give you props for that. I'm he's, uh, my blood pressure went up a little bit. I've been well. First of all, I've been listening to a lot of Andrew Tate, and I was practicing. <laughs> I was practicing the voice uh, because of uh, the, the 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 Christmas special that I was forced to abandon uh, because yeah. of my own uh, uh, incompetence. Um, I uh, was practicing an Andrew Tate voice to make one of the characters Andrew Tate. So yeah, I was. Uh, that didn't make it to the air. Oh, it's gonna. I, I think I might use. I mean, especially the Andrew Tate part. Even if I don't do the Andrew Tate voice, that that three page screed from a white man. Uh, that 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 may make it to a later uh, uh creative project that I, I try to undertake again. Can't wait. <laughs> All right, so we are talking about Andrew Tate because he was recently arrested. But Alejandra, I want to ask you, like, what is your sort of familiarity and vibe on uh mr uh the top g himself andrew tate yeah i had the misfortune of finding out who this guy was over the summer when he was pretty much kicked off of all social media Mm -hmm. i had no idea who he was and so i kind of like looked into him at the time because i was like wow this this guy must have really stirred the hornet's nest to get basically booted from all social media all at the same time um, and I kind of was vaguely familiar with him. And, and then when he got brought back to Twitter, I was like, oh, this is just absolutely great. Um, and then really, I mean, just like the whole thing with Greta is when I really started digging in and like seeing yeah. like what he was up to. And like, it's just horrifying when you actually look at his stuff. Did, did it happen Jones. to PewDiePie? Did it happen to PewDiePie around the heated gamer moment? Uh Yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah. Alex Jones, that did happen to Alex Jones. That is definitely true. Yeah, um, great company right there. <laughs> yeah. Some of the best kind of dudes you can be uh, is Alex Jones, Donald Trump, and uh, Andrew Tate. So I, I made it my business to know who Andrew Tate was um, about this time last year uh, because it is literally my business. I traffic in the opinions of teenage boys professionally as a as a high school teacher uh so it became important that i knew who they were uh quoting when they told me that uh uh women were a man's property um and so that has been like a a thing that i have tried to fight i'm actually i'm literally tomorrow teaching a lesson about uh, a current event lesson uh, about uh his his arrest so it has been an uphill battle talking to Can my students. Can I ask you a question about that? Yeah, please, by all means. What percentage of your students would you say are like pro Andrew Tate? Is it like a handful, just some outliers, or is this like a certainly can't be a majority opinion? 
Well, I will say first and foremost that if you ask what percentage of my students agree with Andrew Tate, it necessarily needs to be less than half. Um, sure. Not a single girl <laughs> agrees well, with yeah. Andrew Tate at my school. <laughs> um, so last year, uh, about a year ago, like last January, uh, Kevin Samuels died, who was another one of these people. Uh, men's rights, right-wing, reactionary, uh, misogynist. And when he died, I had not heard of him. And my students started talking about, like, and when I say my students, it is a pretty small percentage. I would say, like, 10% of the boys. But they're a very That's vocal 10. <laughs> That's still like, more than I thought, frankly. I mean, this is the thing, is that having watched all of this Andrew Tate content, a, a big... I mean, what I see in him is that he is a teenage boy, that he yeah. has basically stopped learning and maturing and being a person past the age of like 16. And, and then you give him a couple million dollars a month and that's what happens. Right. And I do all these different exercises with my kids, like in the classroom around money and around power, because I teach social studies. So. Um, like one thing, uh, when we were talking about like market economy versus planned economy, I asked them, what would you do if I give you a hundred dollars right now? And they were like, I don't know, probably go out to dinner. And then like, I asked them, what if I give you a thousand dollars, a hundred thousand dollars. And then once you get to like a million, it's like, well, I buy a house and it's like, all right, well, what about a hundred million? And they'd like, I buy a bigger house. And I'm like, you see how like your, <laughs> your, your creativity <laughs> sort of runs out at a certain amount of money and just sort of ask them like, why do you think that the people with that amount of money haven't done the things that you would want to do? Because once you get to like a billion, the kids are like, well, I'd buy a new school for our school because our school's falling apart or whatever. And I'm like, that's really nice. Why do you think like uh, somebody like Andrew Tate hasn't bought a new school for his high school? Now he's, you know, one example, but it's like, He's he's also he went to a private school and he was like raised wealthy. So it's not entirely the same. But my, my students, a lot of the time are very much like enamored with this kind of lifestyle. And it's especially funny. It, it reminds me of the seven year olds when when I was a kid that would like sing about how they wanted to kill Barney. It, these are the kids who are like, Jake Paul sucks. Jake Paul's gay. But Andrew Tate is very cool. So the kids have taken Andrew Tate's side over over Jake Paul. Wow. The, yeah, because they see, yeah, they see Jake and Logan Paul as like four kids, as like four younger kids. So since I teach high school, they're like, oh no, I'm not some little kid. I, I like the oh, cool guys. The Pauls yeah. are for babies now. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> <laughs> <laughs> they're growing up that's that's so sweet you're, yeah, I feel, you're... Go ahead. i was so, gonna say for, for like my generation i feel like that was the jackass crew it was like you know you want right. it was like ban margera and like all those folks and like yeah there were a bunch of dumbasses but like they weren't going around beating women and just like being excessively misogynistic it was definitely homoerotic but not anything close to that and i feel like that was kind of some of the folks it was definitely a lot of like rappers um, who aren't always the greatest and like various like rock stars or skateboarders or whatnot. But it's like, I don't know. I just, I feel like social media definitely now empowers cause there's no gatekeepers anymore that like these just horrible people can be put in front of 
children and become idols to them. And that, I mean, now, you know, when you had shows like Jackass or like Bam Margera, like they obviously weren't like the greatest of people, but there was like that level of gatekeeping where you had producers and a network and they're like, we actually have to present this in front of people. And if not, like we won't have advertisers and, and social media has kind of leveled the playing field where there isn't any level of gatekeeping anymore. So someone can just essentially make an entire media image of being a misogynist. And not only that, they're basically pushed on TikTok to all of these teens. And that's the particular horrifying bit is that there, there literally is no filter. There is no gatekeeping. There is just direct from the person to like these kids. And um, I think that, that, you know, is a problem, uh, you know, in, in other ways, like that kind of leveling helps activists. There, there's, there's always going to be pluses and minuses, but I think in that aspect and how it's influencing kids in high school and middle school and so how they're learning to socialize with other people through that kind of content, it's, it's particularly disturbing. It really seems like, it, I don't entirely know how um, like TikTok algorithms work, which from what I can understand, looking into Andrew Tate is where he surprisingly got a lot of early traction, like early last 2022, but it like al algorithms like that really target specific types of people and can really influence from what I can understand, like young, young kids, especially young boys. Yeah. yeah. So what I would like to sort of talk about, because I know um, there is a lot of detail around why he got like popular on TikTok. And um, by the by, uh, just for every, everybody listening, if you're like a Ta uh, Andrew Tate expert as a uh, Caleb Juniper and Alejandra and I have made ourselves uh, the, over the past few uh, days and months, um, you know, we're going to go over some stuff you might already know, but I do want to be very clear that like what he is, who he is, is a, a like deeply broken man who is depressed and um, lying about everything in order to enrich himself. And uh, so before we get to like his more like, odious and recent political scandals i did want to talk a little bit about of his early life especially wanted to hear from caleb as as he said he's watched multiple documentaries on man the yeah i hate to say it i have watched <laughs> pro tate documentaries exposing tate document i mean i've probably in the last when, when did we decide a little over a week ago we decided 24 hours ago bit guy oh you mean <laughs> You've been watching them like... Yeah, I was reading a very nice Cormac McCarthy novel that I put down in order to research this, and um, I want to go back. <laughs> Believe it or not, uh, it was less violent than this shit. Um, uh, you know, <laughs> oh uh, his early life, who, you know, he had this... this His father was this, like, chess, uh, chess player, professional chess player that uh, he basically could have been a grandmaster but never was traveled around the country playing chess was kind of an abusive by this is by tate's own words was shitty you know he yelled and uh you know if his, their hair got too long he'd basically say they were gay just like you know a crazy violent kind of asshole who cheated on his mom all this stuff which you can probably imagine influenced his life very very smart but troubled person um and that I think absence of his father is when his, his parents split up, he, he grew up in Gary, Indiana, and then his mom took him over to um, the UK. And that's where he, uh, so he has that kind of weird accent where it's kind of British, but not. <laughs> um, 
I was always curious about that because the first time I heard him talk, it's it, mm. yeah, it's like a halfway British yeah, accent. Yeah, it sounds like he's faking but, it. Uh, it's the Midwest, yeah. and it's <laughs> yeah. also kind of a bit posh, which is interesting. Yeah. Yeah, Wack, Wack your, your British accent yeah. was more convincing than his is, <laughs> yeah. I'll be honest. <laughs> I watched a clip where he pronounced the word water three different ways. <laughs> Bizarre. No, I mean, there's... Go on, Caleb, that, sorry. Uh, kind of, I mean, in his own words, watching clips of, of Andrew Tate and sometimes his full interviews and stuff. Uh, he like has this weird admiration for his dad while he's also describing essentially how he was like psychologically abused by him, which is strange. Um, yeah, it sounds straight up Stockholm syndrome shit because he will be like, my, my, my father was the greatest influence on my life and that's why he, uh, had to beat the shit out of me and then leave our family. (laughs) It's like, and like Andrew Tate still uses like chess pieces in his logos. I mean, it's obviously like the, the father figure thing is, is like looming um which you know i'm no psychologist but really you know if you see enough of these pickup artist types uh far right wing guys the father issue is i think kind of prevalent um i mean it's it's a thing and that's you know also in a weird way what he's like doing is offering himself as the father type figure that's what a lot of these right wing self-help type people do um but yeah you know um he took a lot from you know his his father and him are both i again we were talking about this before we started recording i hate to say this um it's the drill tweet on no no hand you have to give it to isis but like he actually is a very sharp guy he has a a level of media savvy that is advanced he is a smart person who has accomplished not great things but a lot of things um and that i think a lot comes from a a motivation from somebody who really just doesn't feel whole is the only kind of person that can really accomplish all those things with all the belts that he won and kickboxing and all the other things that he's done business-wise as, as insidious as they were. So that's kind of what I had taken from his early life far before he had become, you know, famous or popular. And it also, another thing, <laughs> if you really want to know like how and why Andrew Tate is who he is and how he got where he is, all you need to know is that he and his brother were both featured pretty heavily on reality TV shows early on in their lives. Yeah, they're both like the villains of various reality Bingo. television. So, written. <laughs> so I didn't, I didn't know his brother was, but I knew um, before watching that short, like twelve minute video that you guys sent to the chat. Um, I, I did see before that he was on Big Brother in the UK, and he got like kicked off, um, like really early on by the staff because he apparently like all right so the story there or something like that yeah the story uh, like there is in the, the video leaked of him yeah. essentially um beating a woman with a belt um both he and the woman would later claim that it was a consensual thing and and it was it wasn't an actual uh leather belt it was a felt felt belt and it was like a a kink thing or something um but <laughs> this is kind of a funny thing not that but what he said instead of that wasn't the reason that he got kicked off even though it definitely was he said that he had a master plan to manipulate the entire household on Big Brother that the producers were too scared of, and that's why he got kicked off. <laughs> it, it's it's just it's just if you take in enough Andrew Tate content, it's just the same thing he does over and over again, which is to do something that gets very obvious con- consequences, like beat a woman on camera. And then no matter how real or not real it was, 
the the BBC and the television show was like, we can't do this. And he was like, they're afraid of my master plan. Exactly. And so they had to remove <laughs> me. It reminds me of, I saw like a tweet by a Andrew Tate fan, or maybe it's like a video where it was like, oh my God, he was arrested. And like five days before he was arrested, he was saying, they're coming that, like, for me. They were going to arrest, they're coming for me. They're going to arrest me or kill me. And they're like, how did he knew he's that smart? And it's like, well, yeah, because he's he was doing crimes. Like, of course, that's he knew. that's me when I do crimes that are punishable by death. That's, <laughs> yeah. They're, they're going to arrest it's me. It's like Al Capone me. just being like, yeah, they're going to come for me. And it's like, dude, you, you, you've been doing crimes. <laughs> you've literally <laughs> already been arrested for this crime once before. And they're like, building a case against you. Yeah. He's like trying to make He was it. he was investigated for this crime like yeah. eight months ago. It's not like a crazy, <laughs> less than that. It was in April. It was like six yeah. months ago. They've literally <laughs> been building a case against him. And uh. in the meantime, he's been going on this like um, media tour podcast blitz where he's saying these things. Well, they're you know the Matrix thing isn't new. Uh, he's had that for a while. But like he's saying, oh, the Matrix agents they're they're this. They're scared of my message. And that's, uh, I, again, I hate to give anything to this guy. That's a, a great marketing message in the current climate that we're in. Hey, they're scared of my message so much so that they're going to arrest me, watch and wait, full well knowing that he's going to get arrested. And once he does, boom, <laughs> right there front center in the media. So I guess we should all do that just in case, just start telling Twitter <laughs> and everything that they're going to try to silence us. Because uh, <laughs> we we keep on talking about how Jimmy John's yeah. is better than Jersey. Elon Mike Musk is going to suspend you. The sandwich, <laughs> the sandwich mafia will always yeah. come for you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, be careful. Why do you think Jimmy, Jimmy John's? John's has why do you think Jimmy John's names all their uh, 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 sandwiches after criminals like Al Capone? It's because they know <laughs> that that I'm on to them. Like Quiznos, <laughs> Quiznos forgot to pay their protection, and you saw what happened to them. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, you don't see Quiznos. Quiznos, much anymore. Quiznos was trafficking children uh, in the basement. Why do you think they had the Q oh, in their name? Shit. <laughs> oh my god you you're unlocking a, a premiere yeah yeah this is a premiere new th conspiracy theory that we can nurture and we can unleash uh fans the fans of western kabuki are highly uh uh encouraged to bring us to your nearest quiz they are not start <laughs> they are not Oh my god! <laughs> you can uh, just you can just you know bleep that and let people decide what I said. Um, yeah, uh, but yes, whatever we decide, we're not doing whatever. Yeah, we're not endorsing whatever. Not. <laughs> whatever Wack said, whatever Wack no. said, Wack was on his own there. Uh, so Andrew Tate was uh, abandoned by his father, um, and in interviews since Andrew Tate has claimed that his absolute like worst. The worst thing that happened when his father left him when he was like 11 years old was that um, uh, he lost his chess yeah. coach. So he wasn't able to pursue chess. It's a weird thing that, to. you know, again, I have a uh, just a small insight into this guy's mind, of course. And I'm pretty sure this could very well be a manipulation tactic on his end. But it seems to me that's like a trauma response. He never talks about his dad leaving him, affecting him emotionally. It's just, I lost my chess coach. And that has been the one thing that he's been upset about. Like, 
Yeah, so he feels like he could have been a chess champion if he had yeah, had the proper he, coach. Yeah, he claims, I think, to have been qualified to be a chess grandmaster, um, if I'm not mistaken. He and Tristan, his brother, both. Um, Does Andrew claim to be a chess grandmaster No, because to be a, a grandmaster, there's uh, a process. Yeah. Like I think he claims to be qualified yeah. <laughs> to be one. Which is awesome, which is an awesome thing to say. Uh, I am also, I'm also Well, qualified. by all accounts, his dad was kind of you in don't the know. same position where his dad was uh, good enough to be, and this is true, this isn't, you know, Andrew Tate bullshit. Seems like his dad was qualified to be a chess grandmaster by his ranking and everything, but just wasn't. Yeah, he won like multiple tournaments, like pretty, pretty. He, high okay, so he did not win. Yeah. He didn't win the title of grandmaster, but he was an international right. master, described by a grandmaster as an absolute trailblazer for African American yeah. chess, which is a wild quote. Chess players are deeply strange people, but the uh, yeah. So after his father leaves, he eventually gets into fight mm-hmm. sports. Um, and that part of his life is not covered a lot in anything that I oh, saw. I basically, some. like before he, before he went to okay. Asia, before he went to Asia, I don't know a lot about his. Yeah, life. the um, him going to China and claiming that he lived for centuries in China was one of the most hundreds of years. So yeah, I definitely wanted to yeah. cover that. <laughs> yes, yeah, so I'm. Ju- I'm just curious, Alejandra, have you like looked into his past, like before, like his current, like whole? No, rift? just, uh, just no. His- he was like born in, I think, like Baltimore, Maryland, or DC, and then you know, pretty much all, all that you've said, some of the stuff about his dad, but not anything. Then he just shows up as like a kickboxer, and then mm-hmm. there's Big Brother. Yeah, yeah, yes. So yep. before he shows up as a kickboxer, he he he's I he, I don't even want to say he claims. I'm just gonna say he spent <laughs> hundreds of years perfecting the arts of every martial art he could he in China. He had a name. It was a Tate Kai something for his own type of martial art that he allegedly spent. It was, <laughs> dude, this is like go, every dude. worst trope That's in all. like every superhero movie. It's like Batman Begins, <laughs> Iron Fist. Like it's. It's exactly like this origin story sounds exactly like the Batman. Um, what's the first? Yes, dude, Batman it's, it's, it's just like yeah, that, yeah, Ra's al Ghul Batman, shit. Yeah, it's yeah. like a mix between Ra's al Ghul and like the Nietzsche love yeah. of your own fate thing. Like he just goes all in on this. It's batty. Yeah, he he's clearly lying. Now, what he actually did in China is impossible to know. Um, but I mean, Andrew Tate, sue me if you want, but you're going to really have to prove that you spent hundreds <laughs> of years in China perfecting every martial art. Um, and, and you're all, we'll need some documentation. And, and to sue me, you're going to have to step foot on American <laughs> soil. So <laughs> let's see. Yeah, good luck. Let's with see. That, let's see you get that done. Um, yeah, the, the, so after he spends hundreds of years and makes, a uh, 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 Tate Fudo or whatever he calls it. Um, he he goes on to do uh, like uh, international uh, kickboxing, uh, MMA fights and stuff. And he's not oh, he bad, basically. Yeah, for like a fighter like that, I mean, their lives mostly suck. Like they they fight like three big fights their whole career. Like, I have a cousin who's an MMA fighter, and it's like, yeah, it sucks. He's, like, almost 30. He's, like, not sure what to do with his life. So, like, I definitely, I have a lot of respect for those people who do that kind of stuff. Uh, But it is very, um, 
it is very funny to go straight from like three pretty big wins to reality television. And I think it's very telling of what his actual goals were. Yeah, I think he had even. And by the way, um, to the listeners and Alejandro, we're going to get to. <laughs> yes, we, we will get to the stuff that you covered in your journalism. But yeah, I, just I don't know that a lot of people know hopefully is the one of the story to this guy because he is that crazy. Um he, I think yeah. that, you know, by his own admission, he'd said more than once, um, he has to be basically constantly moving and constantly doing things. Um, he can't be, he, he can't not be working on building something. Otherwise he'll get bored. And I think personally, what he means by being bored is have to actually deal with some of his own internal emotions. So, you know, he's, con- you know, from a kickboxing career to reality TV show to building and disgusting e-commerce empire and all that stuff like he the dude's on the grind because he's running from something well and of course doing push-ups every second that he's not on camera (laughs) as he claims uh he is always doing push-ups uh he doesn't have time to do almost anything other than podcasting and push-ups as he has told us several times yeah Yeah. So let's let's we can uh, fast forward through some of the more odious things he said, because they come up so frequently and he claims they've been taken out of context. But Alejandro, do you want to give us some background on why uh, our friend Andrew is sitting in a Romanian prison at this moment? Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Starting, like, <laughs> you know, 20, around 2016, 2017 was on the same time he got kind of kicked off of Big Brother. Um you know, he really started pushing this this like webcam business, although I think it like dates back even to to about 2013, I believe. Um, and you know, he he's had this like webcam model business that he's had, which like for me is like kind of already raises a red flag because it's like, what are you adding to this situation? Like you like w- like sex workers are there doing cam work, and what are your what is your role exactly in that? It's it's just none of it makes any sense because like they could all just be doing that out on their own. Like there's only fans, there's a million other sites that they could be doing cam work. I don't understand why they have to do it for him and give him a cut of this. So that already immediately raises red flags. And, you know, and then he starts putting out all this like content about, you know, how he like, know he can increase the number of, you know, quote, male, female interactions, which just is so mm-hmm dehumanizing and just so disgusting in the way he phrases it. Um, But, you know, I will say, and I I covered this in a thread that I did when the news first broke, um, particularly about the ways that, you know, he just talks about women, like just even the media posts that he's had. And like, in particular, like, it's just very dehumanizing in the way that like, there was one particular tweet where he was like saying like, Oh, I took you to this and gave you luxury dinners and gave you luxury like that. And I, we traveled and all this stuff. And who is the person that paid for it? It just like showed this inherent jealousy of like, you know, they owe him something. And that always is like a red flag. Like, And just to give a bit of background to folks, uh, for my first three years out of law school, I worked at New York legal assistance group doing um, direct legal services. Most of my clients were trans Latina women in Queens. And a lot of them were survivors of intimate partner violence. I had to go to family court and get orders of protection for my clients. I had clients that were trafficked by their partners. 
Um, I had others that were trafficked in like the worst setups imaginable in like a hotel room or apartment in New York City. I had, you know, a client that was trafficked as a child um, uh, across the border. So, you know, I've I've heard some some horrible stories and 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 had clients that went through absolutely just the worst imaginable things. And like when I see someone like Andrew Tate, like it immediately raises all the, the like the hairs on the back of my neck because it's it's like all of the the warning signs, all of the red flags that I would see in the you know partners of my clients. It's just this like immense jealousy, this controlling nature, this push to um, isolate uh, their partners, and that isolation is huge because that's what gives them control and power and he basically admits to it like in one of his, like, was it like almost like his uh, brochure or whatever for his website that's like been scrubbed to hell now. It's like, um, you know, yes. I've been running a webcam studio for nearly a decade. I've had over 75 girls work for me and my business model is different from 99% of webcam studios. <laughs> Again, yes, very like immediate red flag. And then he continues over 50% of my employees are actually my girlfriend at the time and all my girlfriends or of all my girlfriends, none were in the adult entertainment industry before they met me. So like he's telling on himself there because that kind of manipulation, right? It's like some people classified it as like the lover boy, right? He wines and dines them, shows this immense life of luxury, isolates them from their family. Like one of the the, the women in this case that like kickstarted this whole investigation back in April is an American citizen that he lured over from the United States. So he's probably luring like women that don't have much else going on. Like they're, you know, working, you know, a regular job and they see this guy who has like Bugattis and mansions and is flying to Dubai. And like, that's alluring for a lot of people. And, you know, he can hook them in and like do all the, like, you know, as he says here, right. Like he says on his website, literally that was my job to get women to fall in love with me. My job was to meet a girl, go on a few dates, sleep with her, test if she's quality, get her to fall in love. Test yeah, if she's quality. That is just <laughs> so disgusting. My God. Like, and then like, yeah. get her to fall in love with me where to she, she do anything I say and then get her on webcam so we could become rich together. Whether you're like, I just like right there, that is like every hallmark of like a trafficking situation. I had, cli- I had a client that, that went through something like this where they, they met a partner and their partner trafficked them through online um, websites. And it's just so like, it's all the hallmarks of a human trafficking situation. And what pisses me off, like always pisses me off about this is that there are so many conspiracy theories online about Wayfair furniture to ship children and like all of these immaculate, like, yeah. Insane conspiracy theories. And like, here is this guy who is getting women tattooed. Like they're getting like this screenshot has them getting tattoos, right? Like they're, they're tattooed with his name. And I'm like. Property, property. Yeah. They say property of a Tate. They are tattoos that say they are his property. Oh my God. Yeah. I have not seen those. Yeah. I mean, one thing that people, I feel like a lot of people don't realize, and I didn't really think of it this way until maybe not somewhat recently, but for a while is that like a lot of human trafficking, trafficking isn't necessarily always by force, like in, in the traditional sense that 
I guess when you hear like human traffic trafficking that you think of like, Oh, someone's just like taken into a, like a van or something. It's like, it, it's situations like this too. Like it's, it's what Andrew Tate does to people. It's the like mental and emotional manipulation exactly. and isolation. So that is definitely, um, these into these positions. yeah, that is definitely what, something I wanted to highlight because I have a lot of followers who aren't um, Harvard lawyers who have dealt with human trafficking cases. And some of those people have been like, well, is it really human trafficking? He like gave them a pay- place to live and like set them up and gave them half their money. Is that like the same as human trafficking? Yes. And, like literally that is the most common kind I didn't of want to like cut, cut like, in a hundred. Um, but when you were talking, you know, Andrew Tate specifically compares in more than one instance, what he does to pimping uh, in podcasts, it by his own admission has said this. And um, the, uh, the American, the young woman that he, he had, uh, they, they looted over there was, it was um, some of the screenshots that actually had been released. It was his brother, Chris uh, Tristan that had started that. Um, and you can kind of see exactly the tactics that they use. It's a hundred percent what you were saying. It's it, he, he tricked her basically into saying, Oh, oh I love you. And um, come over here and we'll do this thing, blah, blah, blah. There's all this allure. There's all this glamor, um, <laughs> you know, and this again is by their own admission that they're doing this. So yeah. I, yeah, I don't even know how, if you are ostensibly a conservative person who is, concerned about grooming or trafficking and you can hear their own inhibitions of how they do this i just yeah i I mean that's the thing though is that people don't want to admit like the biggest source of like the biggest reason for for trafficking is is economic coercion it's people think that it's 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 something to do with like force or being threatened and all this stuff and and don't don't get me wrong that does happen but one of the biggest reasons people fall into trafficking situations is purely economic reasons. Uh, one of the most common in New York City among LGBTQ youth and the way that they fall into trafficking situations is almost always they get kicked out of their houses. They have nowhere to go. So they start trading sex for, for a place to live. They start trading sex for just food. I mean, like just basic survival. Um, and sure. that can really yeah. escalate. And it's those kinds of uh, coercive means that that people don't see because I think a lot of people deeply and deep inside like get a little bit nervous about it because they're like, well, I, you know, I'm being economically coerced into working this job. Like, how is that different? You know, and I think people try to separate it. Like, there has to be this element of force, and people just don't want to admit that. Like, all of us are, are in a lot of ways are economically coerced to do things that we don't want to. I mean, the the difference is the extent and like you know, uh, the violation of bodily autonomy, all of these things, obviously it's like not, not comparing working a job at McDonald's to, to a human trafficking situation, but like it's, <laughs> it's a spectrum, right? It's a degree. It, it, it gets incredibly worse, you know, like on one end. And I think that that kind of shows that like, if you want to end human trafficking, you have to create safety nets, social safety nets that help protect people from getting in these situations so that they have something to fall on. Because anytime you create any kind of leverage over someone, it becomes ripe for abuse. And you know that's the message I always try to say about these kinds of things, because it, it, people just like want to think that it's these like crazy conspiracy theories. And it's never the case. It's always the most simple things that oftentimes like this guy was advertising that he was basically trafficking people on his website. Like it is, it's so blatant. Yeah. Like I just. I think a lot of people prefer to think of prefer to think of their villains to think of their human traffickers in their heads 
as like you know in a in a vacuum that it is just a singularly evil person doing something singularly evil and not a guy who doesn't think he's hurting anybody trying to make well, money and, off of people which Andrew is, Tate is is full well aware but, of this for the record i was watching an interview with him yes. where he described one of the reasons he's talked about this extensively why he moved from the uk to romania um and he said Oh, oh, he yes. has talked extensively. He said about why that he did Romania that. is a corrupt country, but it's a corrupt country where, quote unquote, everybody can participate in the corruption. And said, in the United States, if you want to be corrupt, you need a private island and a jet. In Romania, anybody can do this. Oh, oh my God. He just compared himself to Epstein, yes. basically. Yes. <laughs> oh, Jesus. So I just, oh so I was literally just watching his interview with Piers Morgan, where Piers Morgan asks him about that quote and says, You claim to move to Romania because in the UK, a woman can say, I was raped in 1989, and then the cops will do a full investigation and they'll probably find the guy guilty. That is the quote from Andrew Tate. And then he goes on to say that. Um, in Romania, they'll tell the woman, well, you should have reported it at the time, and they'll tell her she's a dumb bitch and then yeah. move on. And that is his response to uh, human misery in general, I would say, is a sort of callous disregard for how other people yeah. feel or what their experiences might be. Going back really quick to just uh, Alejandra, you compared, I think, or you brought up the whole like Wayfair um, and all of yeah. those like conspiracy theories to like, I, I always find it stunning that the people that will immediately believe those and like boost those and talk about that for like weeks on end are the people that will and have, I mean, we've seen it um, go to bat for Andrew Tate when he's arrested for these things that he admits to doing. It's like they, they don't see like I, I i'm sure it's on some level hypocrisy or whatever it might be but like these people will never admit and see like the, the most obvious examples of actual trafficking yeah or, like, i mean ever because it's, it. it's not about like genuine concern for most of these people it's just literally a way to target their political enemies i mean that that's that at the end of the day that's what it's about right like QAnon is literally just about saying that the democrats are all controlled by like pedophiles and they're secretly trafficking children to like drink their blood or some crazy like shit like that like i'm like <laughs> you know and and, and right. that's it's all political and it doesn't matter and and it's it's called uh you know there, there's a really good term and framing for this from um that, that emanates out of like you know the study of, of nazi germany it's it's like mirror propaganda right like it, it, you know people call it projection mm -hmm. but mirror propaganda is is really like a powerful tool because what happens is is that you basically accuse, you know, your political opponents of something horrible, right? And then when you get accused of it, like it's just, oh, well, they're they're you know they're just saying that because we we are on to them or they're just pushing back. And so, I mean, how many times have we seen this where like institutions like the Southern Baptist Convention, the Boy Scouts, the Catholic Church, like all of these like gen traditional you know organizations and, and structures of like Americana have been just rife with sexual abuse of children. And there isn't like a call to shut down the Boy Scouts or shut down the, the Catholic Church. But meanwhile, like you have people like literally working them up themselves up into a frenzy to go shut down drag shows. Uh, it's entirely a political tool. And 
I think a lot of people get caught up in it. Some that might actually be well-meaning in the conspiracy theories because they can't tell which way is up or down. But it, it, at the end of the day, like that—that's what this is, and people are using it and lobbying it or, or lobbying it as a political weapon. It's not no different than what the Nazis did because they had the same terms. They would use like corrupter of youth. Like I, I can't remember the exact German term um, off the top of my head, but they use these same tropes. And we don't yeah. expect you to. <laughs> uh, but you know, and, and you know, just kind of going back to like you know the the framing as well is is like the isolation part. I, I also want to highlight that because it's, it's the economic coercion. But the other thing is that the, as an aspect of the economic coercion is the isolation, right? So for a lot of my clients, like whenever they were in trafficking situations, one of the biggest reasons why is because they didn't have family in New York. Um, it was just them. Or if they had friends, the partner would become super jealous. It, w- it was like a gradual process of where the, the partner didn't want them or the, you know, to, to, to go and, and, see their friends because they were jealous that they would go see some guy and then they would check their phones. And then that becomes like a very isolating thing where they, they aren't allowed to leave the house without them. And so it becomes like this whole thing where they get isolated from their friends, their family, and they have no means of escape because they don't know anyone. It's either that situation or the streets in, in their mind, especially if you're an immigrant who's undocumented, like you, you fear even being arrested because you feel like you could be deported. And so you, all of those things work in combination to basically make a situation ripe for abuse. And so like when he's talking about like bringing people to Romania, like that is like the perfect situation for him to abuse women, because if he takes a hold, gets a hold of their passports, they're not going to be able to fly out. So like he can, and and that's a common tactic. And that's not been alleged here in anywhere that I've seen, but I'm just saying like, if that were to have happened, that's a, a means of coercion and control. And, you know, if you're in a foreign country, you don't speak the language, you have no idea what's going on like that. That is that's a perfect situation for something like this. I think that he is um, at least tangentially aware of that, Alejandro, because in more than one instance in what I've watched in some of these documentaries, he talks about the importance of having multiple passports. And he uses that explicitly in terms of we need passports so you can get away because slavery is coming. Those were his terms. So, yes, I think that he's aware of that. I think he's also mentioned that it's easier to uh, get a woman to agree if you keep her passport in your safe. I think oh, that's literally Jesus. what he said before. I, could, I didn't I hear could that, be wrong, but I wouldn't but be surprised I, based I, on you said he, You said he hadn't said it, and I'm pretty sure that he has personally said it. I I, I do remember him saying something about like other people's passports. I definitely heard him talk about how he has like an Albanian passport and shit, but uh yeah i i think he is like i mean everything he says about women especially about the women he's worked with is in like law textbooks about human trafficking i would imagine uh where he's like uh yeah you have to like make her a little afraid or whatever he said it's just it's it's so nakedly apparent and i think that because it's so nakedly apparent um, it's become very easy for teenage boys to feel like they've seen through it. Like it's so obvious what he is saying, but the teenage boys get to feel like, no, you took it out of context, which is his this favorite is thing everything. to say is that you took it out of context. Oh my gosh. So, 
funnily enough, that's always the the right wing defense for everything. It's like, oh, out of context, and you just play right. the whole clip, and it's exactly yeah. What you so said, I, they I said. found on Twitter there are screenshots that someone had from a conversation with him, and and they were alleging that that's exactly what he would do do was steal their passports. I didn't even know that that was a, a confirmed fact, but that's just basically something you can intuit from the kind of operation he's running. Just like the, follow his words to their logical conclusion. Of course, he's doing that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. is it too uh, early? Can we move to <laughs> Alejandro, your, your week that you had on Twitter? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> let's, uh, let's, let's do talk about Alejandro's week because I think it's going to come back it's, to Andrew yeah. Tate anyway. Yeah. Assuming you want to talk about that. I don't know if we, any of us really consulted. Is that, oh, yeah, yeah, do no, you want to talk fine. about what's been going on? <laughs> okay. <laughs> cool. Okay. Yeah. I mean, so... <laughs> I like it's just absolutely crazy because it was you know I was supposed to be kind of taking a break off social media anyways I, I had been like it was my week off between um, Christmas and New Year's but like I was just like watching the whole Andrew Tate thing with Greta Thunberg and I was just like oh my god this is amazing this guy is just getting completely owned by Greta and then like I saw a tweet like basically being like oh breaking their like authorities searching his his house. And I was like, well, is this, is this recycled? It was only Romanian sources at the time. Cause this was like very, very early, like right when I was, when it was breaking. And so I was like trying to make heads or tails, like using Google translate on some articles and like trying to figure it out. So I put out, I put a whole thread and like that one, I discussed like the whole aspect of human trafficking and like basically laying out like, you know, essentially what he was doing is like mirrors exactly the type of behavior you would see in a, a typical trafficking situation. Um, and then like someone, you know, later it came out, um, in the report by Gondul, I guess is how it's pronounced. Um, and in their report, it said the investigators waited for the brothers to return to Romania for nine months, anti-mafia prosecutors put together all the evidence taken from the Tate brothers via and from the video chat studio in order to be able to prove that the accusations made during the hearings by their alleged victims are real. Sources close to the investigation stated for Gondul, so this is Gondul's sources, that shortly after the completion of the computer expertise, I guess like, or analysis, or because this is again, a Google translation, the authorities waited for the right moment to catch the Tate brothers who were always out of the country. Then here comes the next par like little paragraph. After seeing, including on social networks, that they were together in Romania, the DICOP prosecutors mobilized the special troops of the Gendarmerie and descended by force on their via in Papera and but also other addresses. So based off that, it was okay. So they were looking towards the social media to know whether or not they were in the country together, where they were at. And even if obviously like because of border control, Romanian authorities would have known likely if Andrew Tate was in the country, but they would have known where he's at, right? Like if you come in through if you come into the United States from overseas and you go through JFK, you can get a connecting flight and be in like, I don't know, Topeka, Kansas by the end of the day. And like, nobody would know where you're at. Like, so there, there's not that like kind of uh, tracking. So they wouldn't have been able to know exactly where he was in, in Romania. So I decided to go through his social media. I started looking through all of his social media posts. Um, it, obviously he had been banned from almost all of them. I think he has a, a what looked like a, um, ban evasion account on Instagram. 
Um, and his last post was from De- December 5th. And then the next one was the Twitter post where it said Romania, right? So this is the one everyone says like, oh, you know, that it, this is the one that he said, you know, it would obviously be him in Romania. And it's like, well, it, there's no date stamp on there. There's nothing to indicate that that wasn't reposted content. And if you look at a lot of his stuff, it's reposted content from months ago. So there's no indication that that was there then and there like that date. And I'm doing this kind of from like an OSINT perspective because I've had cyber stalkers. I have to be very mindful of what I post online because I have been doxxed. And so I, this is the, and I also consult with people on how to prevent getting doxxed. And so this is the kind of thinking that I have. And so the very next day he tweeted a, a, a tweet that said, where are we going today? It's like him being driven around at an airport. And I was able to trace from the video that he was at an airport in the Czech Republic. I don't know if he was at the airport that day. Again, could be reposted content, but that was the day after he said it was in Romania. So like, if you put those two together, like he would, might've been in Romania, but it looked like he left the country. And then he didn't really post anything else except the one with Greta. And I, I found out that the, the Bugatti picture of him pumping gas is actually in Romania. I had thought that it was in Dubai because he had tons of videos of his car. That's a Dubai license plate. Uh, but it turns out, I guess he had it shipped <laughs> to Romania. It, again, there's not a timestamp. I don't know when that would have been. Um, but if you're thinking of like, I need a, to place someone, not just in a place, but within a time frame. Like that doesn't necessarily, because he had been posting from Dubai pretty much all of December. And, you know, then he posted the one where he like was at a castle. That was an Italian castle that he had posted from like almost a year ago. And then I look towards his brother's social media. He doesn't really post much about where he's at. Um, you know, I, I, I looked at Twitter and Instagram. It probably could have been more. I don't know what tr- other social media that Tristan has. Uh, and then that led me to the, the, the response to Greta Thunberg, right? Where he um, posted this video. And the, the key thing about it is people are always like fixated on the pizza box, but it's like, it's not just the pizza, it's the whole context of it, right? They know what his house looks like on the inside. They know where he's recorded before, so they know they, they can match the background. The pizza box is obviously from a uh, pizza like, chain that's only Romanian, right? So, And they would have known that he was in Romania from that. And then here's the thing that really ties it all together. is the fact that he was responding to Greta Thunberg a few hours later. That immediately verifies a time frame in which this was recorded. It's not just reposted content. It's not just stuff. So it's it's the confluence of those two things. And that's what led me to make my speculative assumption that that was kind of the triggering event for the law enforcement to like say, okay, we know he's at his via. We know it's within the last few hours because he re- responded to something that was immediate and we have a time frame. And, um, and because he's someone that has a passport or lives in Dubai and Dubai famously basically does not extradite people, they only have one shot. If he gets to a private jet and gets out to Dubai, like he, they're never seeing him again, right? So they know they had to get them in one shot. And so if you're thinking from a point of law enforcement, even if that wasn't the tweet, you know that they had to 
look at um, that particular, like his social media to monitor what he's doing. And so I would not be surprised at all if so, the, the police were monitoring that specific exchange. Do I think that's the reason why he was arrested? No. Do I think that might've played a, a small part in like why the police raided when they did? Because they obviously had to have the warrants and the investigation and all that stuff done months ago um, or days or weeks ago. But uh, that's what I think was a part of it. And that's what I was trying to, to get out there. I probably exaggerated a bit and wasn't concise in my wording. And I, you know, it was also just kind of like reacting as well, like just kind of piecing us in all together. real time. Yeah. 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 Which, I mean, it was, a, yeah, everyone was watching. And, uh, you know, and so I was just like, kind of put that out there. And in my second post of the original one, you know, I posted the copy of the Gondul article saying that they, they, we're monitoring social media. It's not a completely baseless claim or, or baseless assumption. I think it, it's it's well reasoned. It's speculation, obviously, but it's not something I made up out of whole cloth. And um, you know, and so that went astronomically viral. I mean, I had never seen anything like it. I have been on Twitter for eleven years, and and like I like it was it had done like I think over a hundred thousand likes in the first hour. Uh, pop craze, I think took one of my pictures and like put, put into their own post, which was similarly doing the same numbers. And it just went, I mean, just absolutely viral. It was probably one of the most seen tweets in all of Twitter that day. And yeah, I mean, everyone, like I was, I was going to say before, like everyone was watching this scenario with, um, Greta and Andrew Tate. Cause I mean, Greta, Greta is one of the most like national, like worldwide known people. Um, so this was like a really, like everyone knew, was going, knew about this situation. So I think it was just kind of like a, I don't know what the right word for this is, but just like a, a hotbed moment where like one of the, like you, you posted about someone who was probably just like the most talked about person yeah. of that entire month. Just like it just happened yeah. all at the, the right time. And I think as well as there's that yeah. element of like instant karma, right? Like I think that that's like plays a part, plays a part in it. Oh, yeah, and definitely. Like, you know, people want to believe that there's that kind of karma for just terrible people. And so I think there's a lot of reasons why I, I honestly not never thought it would go that far. And I, I also have to tell people like being on Twitter sucks because it's, it's like trying to drive a race car, learn how to drive a race car while you're going 200 miles per hour, especially if you just got a big platform recently and you have like all of these kinds of uh, uh, like people monitoring your social media and taking your word as truth. Like I've had to, like, I can't like, it, like you, Juniper, I can't really just shit post anymore because people will just like, <laughs> take, you become, yeah, you become yeah. the discourse and it's like, you have millions and millions and millions it's, of it's views like what happened to, it, and it's like oh shit yeah it, it's like what happened to keffels for a little while is she became the discourse she became like uh just you she couldn't do anything she would post a clear joke that she would have posted months ago and then it would become the the most obnoxious discourse yeah. for a week and it, it just became, yeah, sometimes that just happens, especially I've noticed like trans people, this happens to a lot for some reason. Yeah. Oh, I wonder why, yeah, I wonder I'm, why I'm, the most vulnerable yeah. people in our society yeah. are the targets. Of, uh, yeah, I wonder why. <laughs> I wonder. <laughs> but no, I, I'm, I'm scared that this will happen to me someday. Well, I mean, you <laughs> I'm have hoping to like, not, but. Already the 
was it the Dick Vane Snickers? You got mm. word of the year goblin mode. So, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. They're, they're positive things. They're not things that are involving yeah. people so, stalking me. Thankfully. Uh, <laughs> and, and Juniper is very careful to send me DMS when, when she needs to not be associated with something I've said. <laughs> so I think it's perfect. <laughs> I, I, I try to keep you in line. I try to, I try yeah, to keep you in line so, a little bit. <laughs> um, but yeah, like, you know, a year ago I had four, 4,000 followers. Right. So, like anything I said would just mostly go into the ether. My friends would see it, you know, like. Wait, I'm sorry. Wait, how many did it's you gone that past? I, Holy shit. I'm sorry. I missed. Did I said 4,000 4, 4, followers this time last year. It's, okay. It's still a while. Yeah. So I, yeah, I gained 100,000 followers in a year. Like I said, like. Jesus. Yeah, no, same. This last year for me too was 100,000 followers, which is, it, yeah. I totally understand how you feel right and it's, now. And it's, it's incredibly totally isolating. Yeah. Um, and I think a lot of people don't, don't take this into account. Like I've talked to, to other folks who have this kind of uh, social media presence and like, it's incredibly isolating because everything, like you, you do become the discourse. And so the only thing that you can do is ever, like I, what I learned with like Keffels was like, I have to only I can't talk about the community because if I do inter community discourse, I become the discourse because I'm seen as like big trans. And it's like, I'm like, yeah, yeah, I purposely do not touch trans community like uh, these sorts of things. Like, I do not want to touch these with even a like a six foot pole because it, 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 we've seen how it all happens if you have if you're a trans person with over. 10k 20k followers that's just that it just happens routinely if you yeah even yeah. touch so some i've of learned these i can sometimes. only point outwards to people outside the community and like you know the the, the bad actors out there and you know it, it, but one of the things that's like incredibly like isolating is the fact that like there are so many people that, that do like constantly tweet at me and be like thank you so much for all you do like you're wonderful you're great um you know and i i can't even tell you how many dms i've gotten like that and like I really appreciate that. I really do. And it, it does help me keep going, but there's a lot of times uh, where that doesn't, uh, you know, you start to worry. It's like, okay, th there's a ton of praise and then a ton of people just like basically wanting me dead. Like there's no middle ground for nuance. And it's like, I need people to give me like actual substantive feedback about like, is this tweet bad? Like, should I be focused on this or that? And like, it's just me, right? Like I don't have a team. Like I don't have people to bounce as many ideas off of. And so that's, that's what makes it hard. But regardless, um, you know, the New York times afterwards found, uh, you know, they, they asked the prosecutor who said, you know, it was funny, but not true that it led to the arrest or whatnot. Um, you know, take that what you will. I, I, I updated my story and, 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 to the original thread and added the, the, the New York times reporting on this, um, you know, and what, you know, it, it, it sucks because like, yes, I wish I was more concise. I, I had no idea it was going to be that viral. And obviously the worst people on the internet are always going to take any little tiny room for criticism and, and try to ruin your life. Uh, so that I had like Jack Posobiec, you know, who I think knows a thing or two about, you know, pizza hoaxes and, uh, <laughs> you know, involving trafficking. For those who don't know, this is pizza gate guy, right? So, yeah. Um, yeah. and he's like saying like, I invented hoaxes about North Carolina, uh, with the, the drag queen story hour thing and, and, or the drag event and, uh, about, you know, saying that, Club Q shooting wasn't anti-LGBTQ, which is just insane. It, it obviously was an anti-LGBTQ 
motivated shooting. It's just like all they just tuned out as soon as like the 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 fucker who who did it. I won't even say his name. Like trolled everyone by saying that he was non-binary. He was, absolutely wasn't. He he was a he was a four channer. He was like he had his own like website and and stuff like that. And like when you dig deep, like this guy was deeply online. But you know, so they like try to like say I'm like putting disinformation, putting hoaxes out there. Obviously, libs of TikTok picked it up, and then Elon Musk responded. And it's just like, oh great, like this is just going to be a tidal wave. Um, you know, and it's just, it's, it's really annoying in terms of like, you know, if like, if I had, if I had had a hundred follower account, like this wouldn't have been a big deal. And like, the, you, you really do see the dichotomy in terms of like, who gets to like make a mistake online versus who has to be absolutely perfect. Um, and like, you know, you just get hammered and, you know, I have, I use block lists. Unfortunately that blunts a lot of this. Like I've probably at this point blocked like a good portion of flips with tiktok's followers um <laughs> that's smart that's definitely smart i haven't had to resort to these yet um despite her po- making yeah. a post including me um recently i was i was still a little worried about that but yeah it, she didn't yeah. th- thankfully i haven't I, had to resort to that yet so I, I, I totally understand your fear there. To be quite clear about what, what Alejandra is saying, the she did not lie about the pizza boxes. She took the information that existed, and it was largely true Due about the pizza boxes done. as well. And it's very silly to attack anyone for just, like, basically doing all the research that is possible uh, on a topic and coming up with the only conclusion that has been come up with yet and then blame them for it because they translated it into Google Translate. It's very silly. And uh, we we just want to be very clear that like Alejandra didn't do anything wrong uh, posting any of that. And anybody who was mad about it is a bastard or a fool, <laughs> I think. Also, I just also want to say, to be clear for myself, I think lying about news stories is pretty good and funny. So well, regardless. that's how you got your Pulitzer. <laughs> Even if it was maybe... Yeah, exactly. That's how I'm where I'm at. New so York, I can't, New York I can't Times hate. journalist Juniper says it's good to lie about the news. It's good. I think journalists are should be allowed at least yeah. one single lie. It's just like every year they get to publish one lie. Yeah. I think that should be legal. <laughs> I, mean, I stand it, by it's, that. It's, and like there's the you know, there's the scale of things, right? Like this is harmless speculation. Like, like yeah, it went viral and like everyone believed the story, but it's like it's not material to anything. Whether or not he got, you know, placed at a location because of of clapback video, and that's why the police were able to locate him and and, and arrest him. Like that's not really material. Like the man is trafficking people. That's what matters here. And like. It's, yes. you know, and so now the same people are now like pushing off, like immediately after the arrest, they were pulling video from April saying like he was already released or that like it was a swatting or like all of this stuff. And it was like very clearly like just sp- like purposeful disinformation. And like that is actually material. It's like, is he in or is he out? Like, is he actually arrested? Is he charged? And like people were straight up lying about this. The people were defending him saying like, this is just an attack. And obviously, like, Musk went and tweeted, like, the Matrix thing, like, two or three hours after he said the Matrix sent their agents after him. And it's like. Oh, my God. Yeah. I, didn't even, I didn't even connect that. I didn't even connect yeah, that Matrix I, tweet to yeah, him. Yeah, it was very clear Holy what shit. he was doing. At... 
Yeah, and I'm like, oh that is God. infinitely more harmful. And like, you know, the same people criticizing me for that are now like posting about, you know, uh, Damar Hamlin last night on the NFL. Like, uh, like. Uh, oh my God! Yeah, I was actually you know, like, going to bring that my, up. My heart yes. goes out to him and his family, and I hope he he recovers. I'm, I'm grateful. You know, he he's it seems to be in sta- in stable condition in, ho- in the hospital, but just absolutely horrible, horrible freak accident. And people are suddenly using that to push anti-COVID conspiracies, like saying like he was vaccinated and this and that. And I'm like, oh my God, like these are the same people that were condemning me about a fucking pizza box. And they're like out here, like actually pushing disinformation <laughs> about vaccines that will get people killed. Like, yeah, yeah. The whole, that the is... whole um, suddenly died um, like documentary. I don't know if you guys have looked too much. No, into I have suddenly died. That's been kind of, I haven't really posted too much about it, but it's, it's a really fascinating, like, like, uh, like not conclusion. Cause I'm sure it's going to keep, keep evolving, but I guess evolution of the anti-vax movement. Um, maybe we'll talk about it in a future episode. So I'll just briefly summarize it. Basically there was a documentary that was put out just by some person. I don't actually know who made it, but basically saying that if you got the vaccine, you'll just like maybe start dying like nothing will happen and you'll just kind of like drop suddenly drop dead is basically what's happening so a lot of the people that were um saying like oh the i'm sorry what was his name yeah. damar damar hamlet i don't watch football yeah, damar Dem- hamlet. i think it's damar hamlet yeah yeah like a lot of them were going off of that current like narrative that current anti-covid or anti-vax narrative of the suddenly died where oh he's vaccinated so of course he suddenly dropped um even though like the health conditions have always existed before COVID vaccines, like I could go on about this for a while, but yeah. I, I'll, I'll refrain from doing yeah. that. I, I, <laughs> at the you moment. know, the same people have been posting like just absolutely insane conspiracy theories. And it, it's just like, you know, it, it, it's what it is. Like, you know, the folks who work in disinformation spaces are like trying to monitor this stuff. Like you actually, like you're held up because you're monitoring this stuff. You're held up to such an impossible standard and then everyone else like gets to just lie wantonly because there are no standards for them. Um, and so like that, that is just like, there's a huge disparity there. You know, I mean, afterwards I talked to some folks in, in the disinformation space research or like space and, you know, they, they offered some, some thoughtful like feedback and criticisms. And, and like, I take that in good faith. Like I, I, I'm honestly open for good faith feedback about like how I handle social media, because like I said, it, it is for someone who just walked into like having a hundred, you know, a hundred thousand followers in the span of a year. Um, you know, it, it is like learning to drive a car while like in a race car going 200 miles per hour, because like any little thing you say can all of a sudden be turned into a massive story. Like anything I tweet now could become a news story. And like, you, you don't realize the gravity of that until like, you know, because you tweet stuff all the time and it's fine. And then suddenly one tweet just immensely goes viral. And you're just like, I, yeah, you you kind of have to, for better or worse, post through learning a lot of the stuff as it happens. Like, it's been a long time now, um, but I've been through when I was a much smaller account, multiple discourses where I was like the center of it for like very stupid insular reasons from as we've talked about um on this podcast before that corner of Twitter um that was involved mm. with the whole chili discourse. So like I'm no like I was I was a centerpiece of of their their discourse and like their their anger like over a year ago at this point so I, I was able to learn pretty early to like 
kind of moderate what I say and like how I say things because people, bad faith people will absolutely take anything you say and twist it to be anything they want it to be. Like that's just how people yeah, are. And it's like the worst when it's like innocent stuff from like a year ago that's completely taken out of context or like I've had now people like stalking my Instagram and like pulling stuff together. Like someone tweeted about like me having like uh gender affirming surgery like during the pandemic and that it was like so entitled because like all these people are like this or that and i'm like the same people who don't think covid is a problem are criticizing me for getting surgery like like during like you know a year (laughs) a year and a half into the pandemic like i just i i I honestly don't like none of it, it it's none of it's in good faith it's just it's yeah, yeah. It's it's silly. It's but all like very that silly lends stuff. to the isolating yeah. factor, right? Because when you have people making this like insane criticisms mm-hmm. that are like just clearly in bad faith, and then the other side of that is like you know very supportive, loving people, and I I, I love all of my followers that like send me supportive messages and you know are just like very sweet and DMs in that way. Um, but it, it's hard because like I don't want to fall into like a a trap where like i i only listen to like people who are i don't want to say sycophants but i think that's a harsh word but i think like i don't want to only listen to the positive like i want constructive i want to learn and i want to be better and i want to handle this responsibly but it it's hard when like you only see two extremes either praise or just like fuck you go like you know here's a wood chipper meme like i i it's hard it's hard (laughs) and i of course, it is hard. Now I feel that. Yeah. Um, but you know, it, it, it's been a lot, and so obviously, like it, a lot of people are coming after me, and it's like whatever. It, it's not that big a deal. Like no one even really cares because it's again, it's like completely benign detail that's like not material anything, and it was based on like what I was reading right. and put together. It, you know, it was speculation, obviously, and I probably should have put a disclaimer in the tweet that I was speculating that this was the case. Um, you know, but at the same time, like I, I, you know, it's a trial to fire and I, you know, I'm, I'm learning as I go. So, um, I, I personally think you're handling it very well so far. I mean, from what I've seen, I'm not always as online, um, watching things as closely as I would like, because I work and I I only briefly see the timeline, like in the afternoon and evening, but I mean, it seems like you're (laughs) handling it quite well (laughs) from what I can tell. Um, but I do want to, uh, just because we're, we're going to try to wrap up soon. We're coming up, I think, over an hour. Uh, kind of just kind of talk about where Andrew Tate is currently because I saw him and I, like his account is tweeting still. Is but it? Apparently he's in jail. Yeah, his, his Twitter account yeah, He's got a social posting. media I'm assuming someone sure. else is posting. Um, yeah, so I, I assume yeah. he's still in yeah, jail, he right? Like he's, he's, his thing was denied. Yeah, yeah, he's he's been he's, he's being held for thirty days. Okay. The judge um, last Friday uh, granted the prosecutor's request to hold him for thirty days while the they you know I guess bring all of the evidence and like set all of the charges and everything. Um, but so then they're going to be doing like a trial I, sort of sort of I have deal no idea. Uh, when they figure the, out. I have not the, a, the I have no idea how a Romanian justice system works. I won't even pretend to. So. <laughs> uh, yeah, I guess yeah, so, I don't either. You know, it's very yeah. different from the United States because um, normally you'd have to bring an indictment, and there's like very clear like bail hearings and stuff. But obviously, this guy's a flight risk. Like he has private jets, he has homes in Dubai, and if he gets to Dubai, he is not getting extradited. So, um, you know, like he, he's he's in jail. Him and his brother, at least for the next thirty days, I guess through what like almost the end of January, and at that point, like I guess the prosecutor requests an extension. Um, 
you know, I, I don't know what the, necessarily they can do, but, but yeah, he's, he's in jail and these are really serious charges and more and more information is coming out about this and like his own websites and everything else are just damning. So they, they have a lot of evidence on this guy. Thank God. It sounds like he's probably going to go to jail. <laughs> it sounds like it. At least. It's, I don't want to get first. Yeah. yeah. Hopes up, but it, it's hard. Yeah. And, and just, um, to go off of what you were saying earlier, because I think it is the larger uh, context of these kind of stories with the Damar Hamlin thing. Um, he, he He's a NFL player who was hit very hard in the chest last night and had a cardiac arrest that he has him in critical condition and we don't know if he's going to survive playing this game of football and today i was sort of talking about the uh you know the issues with with the game of football as being like a a root cause to this issue and some and and i say somebody multiple people were like accusing me of making things up or being as bad as the uh the 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 anti-fax guys and this is an attitude i think we see online especially for people with a lot of followers which is something we've talked about a lot is that people think that your high follower count means that you have some type of political power and are therefore a uh, fair game whether you're a high school teacher in north philly or an immigration and human trafficking attorney it's like we we don't have like a a a a, a, a outsized political part of power we have a large amount of attention we get on Twitter. And it's a, it's a very different thing that I don't think people really consider as being as sort of powerless and meaningless yeah. as it actually is. I mean, in is. terms of actual power, it's none. It's just the only thing I can do is like shine a flashlight on, on issues like that. That's the power that I have. And like for that, there's a very steep price. And I, I'm constantly making the calculation of like, is this worth it for my own mental health? Is this worth it for my own personal safety to do this. And it's like, okay, you know, legislative session is coming up. I need to spotlight the terrible anti-LGBTQ bills and like get movement on things. And like that serves a purpose. And so that's, that's the only reason why I stay on is because it's like, okay, I can, I can bring attention to these things that's normally not getting attention. And so that, that's a calculus that I make, but, um, but yeah, I think uh, just to kind of bring it back, you know, like to Andrew Tate thing, just for while we're wrapping up, um, you know, Kat Tembarge at NBC News had a, a thread about like, you know, how, how similar this stuff is with like um, the Amber Heard, Johnny Depp trial and the mis- open misogyny on display there. And like the, the stuff that's been going yeah. on. Also, the um, uh, Tory Lane's trial with Megan Thee Stallion, um, you know, he was convicted, right? Like he shot Megan Thee Stallion, but there are people saying that like, oh, no, he actually didn't. It's just the worst misogyny. And I'm like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit worried because um you know there may be a a, like a trial for for andrew i don't know what the romanian court system's like or anything like that i don't know if they televise or or anything like that but on the other hand um he is alleged to have trafficked an american citizen from the united states and he is i i don't know if he's formally renounced his u.s citizenship that's another aspect he was born in dc so he's a natural born citizen and if he hasn't renounced that like the u.s can easily seek extradition and beyond that, they still have kind of like basically a long arm jurisdiction to be able to seek extradition because the victim of the crime was like, and part of the perp- like the, like the crime itself was partially committed in the United States by him, like reaching out to someone in the United States. 
um, and luring them to Romania. So the Justice Department, um, you know, I, I will put a disclaimer, this is speculation on my part, so, so don't twist this, it's like actual fact. Uh, my, you know, my guess is the Justice Department is, is heavily involved in this, as long, along with the State Department and the Diplomatic Security Service. Um, and yeah. It's a pretty safe guess, yeah. I think. And, I would imagine like, you know, it's, it's gotta be very delicate because getting extradition, coordinating with the authorities in Romania about what charges are being placed and what, like, it's a very difficult dance and justice department's not going to tip its hand, but if they do seek extradition for this guy, um, and he gets extradited to the United States, it is going to be like, it's going to be Julian Assange 2.0 mixed with like Johnny Depp, Amber Heard, uh, because this guy is, is just going to have the most yeah. toxic fan base and they will absolutely and, and the unfortunate aspect of a criminal trial is that the victim's names will have to be disclosed and the this is his entire mob will go after the victims and if people think that that social media mobs are too are, are, aren't low enough to actually go after human trafficking victims you haven't been on the internet long enough Oh, and, Jesus and I Christ, think that's yeah. going to take the cake in terms of just like absolute depravity online in terms of like just the worst, you know, stuff. And I, I'm, I'm kind of terrified where this is going, um, especially if there's like a public trial or, yeah. you know, as this drags on, mm. um, he's obviously communicating or, or, or I want to say, obviously, I'd say his tweets are still being put out on his account, either through a manager or someone with access to his account. So he's going to be able to rally the troops and they're, you know, it. Yeah. yeah, it's it's going to be a shit show so, to say the least. Yeah. It, it's disturbing and it's worrying in a lot of respects. Yeah, and so to to finish out the the topic fully, um, first of all, I do want to say if there is a public trial of Andrew Tate, uh, we have not seen the level of complete utter butt fuck insanity that will happen if Andrew Tate is put on a public trial in Romania. And I think we will get the opportunity to learn an awful lot about the Romanian justice system against <laughs> yeah. our will, if that does happen. I think so. Yeah. Um, and I also want to say that um, the, well, what I want to ask, and I, I'm sort of posing this to everybody. None of us know Andrew Tate personally or can really speak to the man's mind. Why do we think he held an American against her will? That seems like a recipe for disaster. Because he talks on podcasts, is like, I got 19-year-old Moldovian chicks coming to my house. And it's like, yeah, that's one thing. But you kidnap a white American woman, that is a big fucking no-no, I think, in terms of getting you international human trafficking uh, attention. So why do we think well, he did? First that? of all, it was his brother Tristan who re did their initial reaching out. So everybody has a dumb brother who constantly gets you into trouble, especially when they're your business partner. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I think some of it is just hubris. I mean, they've been untouched for what he's he's owned this business for ten years. They've been doing this for over ten years. Yeah, but I, I think a certain level of hubris and just feeling that they're untouchable seeps in and just decides to do it i mean because the whole thing got kickstarted because the u.s embassy like alerted romanian authorities because the the boyfriend of the of the victim reached out to the u.s embassy and so this whole thing got kickstarted and it's like yeah and i think it, it does highlight kind of 
you know, I think a lot of uh, human rights uh, advocates have been in, in Eastern Europe have been highlighting is that this stuff happens all the time in Eastern Europe and people don't care because it's Eastern European women. It's women that like society doesn't care much about. And, you know, it, it's not a surprise that like, yeah, I know you're joking. It's like, oh, he, he decided to kidnap or, or, or and traffic. I am absolutely no, I, not joking. I think that that is a big, oh, big yeah, misstep sorry. on a on a human. Yeah, I mean, yeah. So it's you know, but at the same time, it's like it shouldn't take that. Like, why isn't he being investigated for for you know? And well, yeah. it's unfortunate because yeah, it lays bare the disparities in the system and like the ways the system fails women and fails human trafficking victims and. Yeah, I, I just it's it's so frustrating, and I, I think the worst thing I don't know just to kind of close this out is is uh, you know the, the same people who are just obsessed with this. I think like Eliza Blue is like the other one um, who I've I've seen almost like fall into this QAnon rabbit hole in real time because I, I started following her like years ago. I think when she was like a Bernie supporter, and you know she's a human rights uh, trafficking or human trafficking advocate, like survivor advocate. And she's been very vocal on Twitter for years about this. You know, I take her at her word and and uh, believe it. But you know, in the last year or two, she's like really fallen into this like alt right circle, like talking about human trafficking. And it's like, you know, and this the, the one of the biggest stories of the year comes out, and she states that she was apparently a survivor advocate for someone involved, and that's why she hasn't been vocal about this. And it just it doesn't add up to me and it's very weird. And I think it's like exposing, I think a lot of the, the folks that are using these narratives for conspiracy theories and for lobbying political attacks. And unfortunately it's, it's, it's only getting worse and I don't see this getting any better. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for uh, joining us, Alejandra. Thanks for having me. Uh, no, I mean, I don't want to, I don't want to put the downer on Alejandra. She's 100% right. And it's, 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 yeah, I think we all agree <laughs> with that, sadly. I, that's just kind of how it is. And yeah. it's, it's, it really sucks. But, um, yeah, I don't, I, I think we'd all be happy to never speak about Andrew Tate again. Um, so Alejandra, if you want to, uh, share your plugs, where can people find you? What can people, yeah, do for you can you? follow me on, um, uh, all my socials are Esquire, E S Q U E E R underscore. Um, I think on Mastodon, it's just as queer, not with, without the underscore, because I got there early enough. Um, and, and uh, you know, nice. uh, if you're truly, truly nerdy, um, I have two uh, academic articles coming out, one dealing with interstate extradition around abortion, uh, post-ops, and another dealing with anti-trans uh, medical experts um, in evidence uh, for trials. Um, and so... If you would like to read those, it should be out soon. One is in the Journal of Medicine, Law, Medicine, and Ethics. The other is going to be in the CUNY Law Review. Um, and I'm hoping to restart up my podcast soon. Um, it's on my Twitter bio. Uh, it's called Queering the Law. Um, check it out. There's at least three episodes, and I'm hoping to, to reformulate that that podcast and get it going again. Hell yeah. Nice. Wonderful. That sounds awesome. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, I hope you guys all check that out. Thank you so much, Alejandra. And uh, please do uh, follow her various socials and, and, and goings on. <laughs>